Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. With me this afternoon is my good friend and co-host, Chad Mitz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. So, Chad, I have a question for you. I'm scared, but okay. How much of your time in the past, say, week has been taken up by thinking about Steve Rogers's sexual history. <laughs> um, you know, any other week I would have been like, why ask this question? But this particular week, I can honestly say it's been, you know, a decent amount of my time. Because you you are a, a canon nerd. Like you 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 are a stickler for like timelines and activities. Uh, so, so that's a very interesting wrinkle to throw into the history of the MCU. Um, so, kind, well, it depends on where, where you stood on it before uh, this particular event happened. I was always of the mind that exactly what happened happened. So, it's not so much that uh, you know this throws any wrench in my plans. This was always like how I saw it. It's just that. It's one step closer to another stupid theory in my head canon actually becoming canon. That's that's all this is. So, did you ever think that you would hear the words Captain America? Oh no, never, never. And I I am highly amused by it. Uh, I've seen that scene what three or four times now, and I'm still amused every time I see it. There are a lot of amusing scenes in She-Hulk that are quite fun and quite interesting. There's also some some great dramatic stuff in there that I think is much needed um, in there. But, like, making her a Steve Rogers fangirl was interesting, but having her, like, that be the thing she needed to know. Like, her cousin knows him intimately, and to get her cousin drunk enough. You know, when they specifically say it's very hard for a, for a Hulk to get drunk, um... To, to get her cousin drunk enough to uh, to answer that particular question was interesting. And the way that it inflamed the Peggy Carter stands on uh, on Twitter was also quite fun. Why did it inflame them? Because they believed that, like, Peggy and Steve and the... Okay. That, that so, Peggy was the only person Steve was with, and that was that. <sighs> okay, so, so to those... Lames. Yes, I'm calling you lames. You nerds. Again, we are all nerds here, but you are specifically nerds. Um, yes, Steve can be in love with Peggy. He was in love with Peggy. Um, but I don't think he thought he was going to see her again. I mean, they are on a war effort. She was sent overseas and he's stuck stateside doing what he's doing. And and Steve is, as as Erskine said, Steve is a good man, and the serum elevated that, so we think very highly of him. However, not even that he's a man. He's a human being, and he's getting things thrown at him that he'd never seen before. Remember what Steve Rogers was before. Little short guy, as he said, the woman would rather step on him than dance with him. Now... He's a super soldier. The very first woman that saw him after him being a super soldier, the aforementioned Peggy Carter, 
there is that scene where she's like, she she is so caught up. She catches herself because she's feeling him up. And you're putting him on a USO tour across the country. He's like the biggest celebrity. And with that comes certain quote unquote perks. And you don't think even this very righteous guy, there's nothing not righteous about, you know, having a little fun. So if you're upset about that, if you're upset that he 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 didn't Peggy wasn't his one and only uh, newsflash for you, he wasn't Peggy's one and only either. Um, I need you to get your little nerve feelings and be just be happy that Steve got to explore life before you know he went on ice for years. Which is which is her whole point that like it would have been super sad for. Steve Rogers never to have known that kind of love before he went into the ice. Yeah, and I don't, well... It, I mean, I didn't expect, like, that to be a key point in the in the pilot episode of She-Hulk, but, I mean, here we are. I mean, the way, I, the way she's talking about it is the way that we've talked about it and people online have talked about it, like, is Steve a virgin? Did he, did he die a virgin? Did he... Get so wrapped up he never got around to doing it until he went back in time and married Peggy. Is that what happened? No. There was just look, I know Steve is Steve is an aspirational figure in that he is so, you know, steadfast and honest and such just a good person that people will put him on this pedestal. And he deserves a lot of that. However, he is still a human being. And again, he's a human being that we've seen. Was attracted to women. He and as we saw in those movies, not just to Peggy. He was in love with Peggy, but he was attracted to other women. And other women are again. He's the biggest. He at the way it's framed, he is the biggest thing going during the war. He's a superstar. He's a movie star. He's a a, a, a you know a he's symbol of. He's literally a, a poster boy. Right, literally a poster boy. So we we only saw, I mean, we saw two women throw themselves at him prior to, like, outside of Peggy in the first movie. The first one just literally throws herself at him and Peggy catches him. Um, what well, is the second one? The first one is on the USO tour. She just flashes him a smile. And what does he do? He does a double take because he's like, He's trying to sign something, he and he sees her, and he looks down, and he sees her again and sees how she's looking at him. And look, that's all I need to know right there. That one scene told me Captain America got it in. And why not? Because then you know what happens next? He's on to the next city. There, there, there are no aspirations of anything bigger, bigger than that. Like, Steve is such an upright, such an upstanding guy. He's, you know, he's going to lay out the land. I mean, I'm going to be here today. But I ain't going to be here tomorrow. And if you're good with that, then you're good with that. I can't uh, I can't believe we're spending this much time talking about this aspect of it because Internet nerds are stuck in their nerddom. Captain America can have sex with women and still love Peggy Carter. That 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 they're not together. He didn't think he was going to see her. Human nature took its course. That's it. Get over yourselves. And as you said, it's very much alluded to, and they use that to fix that uh, 
1943 USO tour on there is the exact time frame. The uh, bigger question for me is what kind of conversations were Steve Rogers and Bruce Banner having? And at what point in time would the topic of his sexuality and or his losing of his virginity have come up? Like, Steve Rogers also doesn't get hammered all that often or very easily. So it's not like this would have been like a drunken, like, slip of the tongue. When would they have been together and when would this conversation have occurred for him to gain this knowledge? Um, so there's there, there's times um, just off the top of my head, you know, they they when Age of Ultron begins. They've had several missions before that that we don't see, but we see how they celebrate the missions they do have, which they have that big party when they got the scepter. So I think, you know, between Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron, they went on those missions. And when Age of Ultron starts, they've clearly been spending time with each other. So I think that is your prime time for uh, that kind of stuff to be shared. It's just an interesting dynamic, and it's another interesting dynamic that's brought up is the idea that Tony Stark built a secret condo for the Hulk on an island during the, and then he used it during the blip, uh, and that they he you know him and Tony built a bar together. Like these are all like very interesting things because a lot of stuff gets said by Hulk in in Banner in that show that surprised me a little bit because it, it it alludes to the time frame of the blip from the Avengers perspective and what they were doing after Infinity War ended. And that's something that we haven't really talked about or discussed uh, yet. And if, you know, Marvel has been chastised and, and taken to task time and time again about phase four being directionless. And we've rebutted that here on this podcast many times, but the producers themselves have said that phase four is about responding to the events of Endgame. Well, how did Hulk deal with the blip? We know that in the end, he was the celebrity. You know, he was the one who, who snapped his fingers and brought half a reality back, remembering to bring everybody back safely. So they weren't falling out of the sky and dying. Um, but to bring up in a show that, yeah, me and Tony built this bar and had a bunch of drinks afterwards and we were coping with the loss of half the universe. You know, it's kind of kind of an interesting thought of those two guys in that particular moment having that particular conversation. Yeah, I found it... Uh, what I found interesting specifically about that part, and I missed it the first, the first two times I watched She-Hulk. Um, I've watched it three or four times, which is a whole other conversation on itself. But uh, in that, talking about them having drinks and stuff, he says that Tony spent most of the time, you know, drinking and complaining about Steve. So, and this is this is after uh, Infinity War. So it's still, they're still portraying that whole um, Tony having, like, no, no, issues no, no, with Steve. No, 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 it would have had to have been after Civil War, but before Infinity War. Because 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 da- because Iron Man starts Endgame in space, Captain Marvel has to go get him. Yeah, but that's all. That's still after. That's still after Infinity War. Like that's that prologue is an extension of Infinity War. 
Because then, yeah, they find him in space. It's only been it's been a couple of months, he says. And then they uh, they find him. He comes back. That's when they go off and they actually chop off. Uh, Thor chops off Thanos' head. Then we jump forward the five years. So it's after it's after they come back. Uh, uh, that's when Tony and Bruce build this bunker, and then Bruce spends all that time in the bunker, merging his two personalities, but. In the lead up to it is him and Bruce uh, building it. And I guess that would kind of line up because it would be, you know, it would, drinking and that, complaining about Steve after Infinity War makes sense because you get a lot of that in that scene when he comes off the spaceship, off the ship, off the Milano, and, and uh, you know, and Pepper hugs him. And he calls Steve a liar and a traitor and pokes his heart, like, pokes at his chest. There's still very, very clearly still animosity between those two. And even more so um, after Infinity War. Right. And, like, there's, I know it seems when you think about the the whole thing of Endgame that um, Steve and Tony are good by the end of it. And they are, but five, five years has passed. And I think... The way this timeline would would line up, Tony and Bruce would have to build this bunker pretty like within a year of the end of Infinity War, because as you know, Tony becomes a father uh, sometime. Like she's like four, so sometime within the next year, he becomes a father. So before he's a father, they build that. So in that timeline, his issues with Steve would be still be fresh. I, off of seeing Steve and them losing everything in Infinity War. So him drinking and complaining about still Steve makes sense. And then over time, after his daughter count comes and time has passed, he's able to let some of that he's able to let all of that go with Steve and giving him the shield back, you know, symbolizes getting over it and them coming back together. So it all that time, all that lines up, but hearing it in the show, uh it wasn't something I expected to hear. It kind of threw me a little bit, but it makes sense. It still makes sense within the overall story they've, they've told. The arm in the sling also was a thing that was interesting to me because he gives an explanation for that right off the bat in the conversation in the car. Right. Cause, uh, the last, well, the last time we saw him was in Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi? Yeah, yeah. Shang-Chi. And he still had it on then. And it just seemed, but he was, but he was human, Bruce, at that point. So in this scene, they explain that and the arm all at once. And they do it, and it's all real quick. But it it, it keeps everything consistent. Like, being human helps him heal his arm. He's made a device to make himself stay human. That's why we saw him as human in Shang-Chi. So it, you know, it it brings you up to speed on everything with the Hulk in this episode, Really quickly, and they do it in a way to not interfere with the star of the show, which is She-Hulk. So all your Hulk stuff, they give it to you, they give it to you quick, move out of the way. We're here for her. How did you feel about the fourth wall breaking? I know how much you love that during Deadpool. Um, I'm good with it as long as, I mean, it's it's really fine to me, no matter who, like, well, let me not say no matter who does it. But as long as it's done in a way that's like respectful to the story and it's a character that rings true with it, 
And according to the comics, She-Hulk has been doing the fourth wall breaking before Deadpool. So it all lines up. And I think we'll get more of it uh, as as the show goes on. But, you know, I liked it so far. Um, Your thoughts on the Hulk versus She-Hulk battle Um, (laughs) and the CGI, because I know many people are balking at the CGI and saying it's taking them out of the show. Um, I don't have a problem with the CGI. It is like a step below the movies, but not so much below that I can't get into it. Um, the biggest thing with the CGI is with that step below is that certain times the, um, the, uh, you know, the uncanny valley with the mouth shows up, but it's very little. It doesn't really, there's nothing that like throws me completely off. Like this is so egregious. I can't let, believe they did it. I know there's certain, there's no cats moment in this show. <laughs> no, there's none of that, but I know there's some people that are more sensitive to that, sensitive to that than me and I I enjoy the story so I whatever gaps with the CGI um I'm going to forgive because the story is what it is uh, as far as the Hulk fight <laughs> uh I find it enjoyable just because the, the it felt like two people that are cousins that were close and they're close enough that they can fight like have a, a real physical fight but are still, you know, once it's over, once it's all over, they're going to, you know, say their little pieces and they can move on because they have that kind kind of relationship. Um, and I've like I've taken part in those kind of relationships with my cousins. We've uh, when we were younger, we've almost killed each other, um, almost literally sometimes. But, you know, we're still close to this day. So I I can relate to their relationship and then it's always fun to see, you know, Hulk fight somebody. And and as as Bruce did through the show, he's he's jealous of Jen and her abilities to to have control over this that he never had and how good she naturally flows into it. And he had to, like, learn this stuff. So but he, and even in that jealousy, he underestimates her and he he like his ego gets involved in all kind of different ways through this in their interactions. And she calls him on it. She picks on it, picks on him for it. And she takes advantage of it in the fight. But even then she goes too far and is able to recognize that. And that's where that, you know, that closeness in the relationship comes in. So it was just, you know, it was fun all the way around. Um, I enjoyed it and I'm glad we got to see it, but I'm kind of glad we got it out the way first. And now, we can just focus on Jen. Well, like she says in the fourth wall breaking, I know you're not going to, I know you're going to give, give a crap about anything else until you figure out how I got these powers. So let, let's go ahead and deal with that first. Right. And originally, um, I don't, this episode wasn't first. Uh, they were going to put this episode later in the show run to like, you know, I guess kind of like flashback and be like, okay, so this is how all this happened. But they, te- I think they tested it, and the audience was like, really wanted to know everything about her, so they moved this one up. Okay, so to the uh, big question of the show so far, uh, what and why was a Sakarian ship trying to get a hold of Bruce Banner, and what message would that particular Sakarian ship have for our dear 
Mr. Hulk. Okay, so I'll give my my immediate thoughts first, and then I'll tell you some thoughts that I'm uh, I've seen bandied about, and that might come to fruition. But uh, when that ship showed up, uh, I was like, "Well, well, damn!" You know, a, a couple weeks back, we spent a whole lot of time with me dunking on this whole fake rundown of Comic Con, which was accurate. It was fake, but my sticking point was: you're not getting a World War Hulk. They did the Planet Hulk stuff in Thor. That's as close as you're getting to both of those stories. It's over. It's done. Let it go. Having this ship show up, I think, is your first sign that we're getting some type of Hulk movement uh, towards um, World War Hulk. And I quick interlude on that. Before, when we talked about it, I used... The Planet Hulk storyline interchangeably with World War Hulk. And those those two stories follow each other, but they're not the same thing. Planet Hulk was more what we got in Thor, where he's on on a different on a Sakaar being a warrior. And World War Hulk is when Hulk comes back to Earth and all the people have sent him away. He's pissed and he fights them all and he beats their asses. That's World War Hulk. So I think we can get a version with this ship showing up, I think we get a version of that. Um, now, I've never read World War Hope, but uh, people online are have started to get excited that maybe the message from from the ship is about um, well, in World War in Planet Hope, Hulk sired a son, and uh, I think I can't remember. I think it's like Scar, and. Hulk has to deal with him, I think, in part of World War Hulk. So a lot of people are excited that maybe the the, the transmission or the, the message from the ship was, hey, um, you left a kid on this planet, and he's tearing up crap, and you need to come deal with it, the, leading into whatever World War Hulk kind of thing we have. So I never read it, so I just thought I'd throw that one out there because I've, I've seen that a little bit, but... Um, some way or form, some form or fashion, I think we're headed towards some kind of World War Hulk MCU adaption. Uh, don't know if it's a movie, don't know if it's a show, but I think that's what that ship is kind of signaling to us. Well, that and like it's we know Grandmaster was written out of Thor Love and Thunder. Um, he was going to make an appearance um, and they scrapped it. Maybe they scrapped it and figured that this would be a good place to do it. Um, because maybe the Grandmaster wants his Grand Champion back, or wants his old Grand Champion to face his new Grand Champion. That is very possible with his new Grand Champion being um, his hyper-age-accelerated son. And that's the same thing in the comic. He, he grew real fast. Or, like, the other thing, too, for me is the Abomination is still in play. Yes. And She-Hulk is now in play. So now you've got... The only thing you're really missing at this point is either Red Hulk or Grey Hulk. Or both. Um, yes. Uh, so, Red Grey Hulk is actually our Banner Hulk. Um, in the comics, originally when he turned, he turned Grey. And then the Grey Hulk came back and it was an intelligent Hulk, but it was not as powerful and I think 
this one, I think he was triggered only by coming out at night. And he was like a gangster. It's real weird. But that was the thing that happened in like the 80s. Red Hope is a whole completely different character. Uh, in the comics, the whole thing was who is Red Hope? We didn't know for a long time. It turned out to be uh, General Ross. So I think Red Hope will show up at some at some point. I don't think it'll be uh, the same thing as with the comics because, you know, unfortunately... Um, William Hurt. <sighs> William Hurt. It slipped my mind. So William Hurt passed this year, so I don't think they'll recast General which, Ross. Which still works for their Thunderbolts movie because, you know, Val can fill that role very easily. Yeah, and they just say, you know, they named it at the imposthumously or whatever. Uh, I think so, but I think it, it, you still can have a Red Hulk. There are Hulk characters uh, off the top of my head. Uh, Glenn Talbot, uh, he's in the army. He was also with Ross. He hasn't showed up in the MCU yet. He was in the, um, the Ang Lee Hulk movie uh, played by, I can't remember the guy's name, the blind hater guy. Uh, but he was Talbot, and you could probably make Talbot Red Hulk get the same kind of effect. Yeah, I mean, I just think that it opens it opens the doors a little bit more to a wider Hulk thing. The problem, though, will continue to be the universal the universal deal, which I don't I don't know when that expires or if that expires. Yeah, I somewhere somebody said that uh, Feige said that those things were kind of handled already, so they may have already expired or Disney made a deal with Universal to pay them so much money to yeah, same, same way that they did with Paramount to buy them out for Aven- for Avengers. Yeah, so it could be it could be done already. Well, Paramount must really be kicking itself, huh? Like, you know, this thing this thing called Iron Man happens, you don't immediately just make an offer to buy the studio. You just you just continue to produce their movies and then, you know, Two years later, the, the studio gets bought up by your competition and becomes a giant behemoth. I mean, but you know, that's how the studios are. They're so risk averse. It's like, okay, so we don't have to put any of, we don't put up any of the money to make the movies. We just got to distribute it and get that deal. And yeah, they're like, to them, it's like, oh, that's kind of almost free money. We don't have to, we don't put up, we don't deal with most of the risk. And that's what happens. Not dealing with most of the risk. You don't get, all the rewards, and here comes Disney to swoop in and make it what it is. So, what are your expectations for the remainder of She-Hulk? It's really weird. I don't really have any. Um, I know Daredevil's going to show up. It's not a child show. It's it's not a kid show. <laughs> it is. It is definitely not that. It's not, but I wouldn't say it's like a straight up adult show. It's more like, you know. Teens. Um, yeah, teens can watch it. Kids, well, the first episode, well, no. Because we know from the previews that um, she goes on dates. And at least one of the dates, she does things. So I, I, nothing's graphic, but, you know, if, you do, if you're parents and you don't want to explain why She-Hulk is carrying a man off off screen, then yeah, it's probably best for teens. But you know, I I'm I'm curious how they're gonna keep working the the law angle into this. Uh there apparently is a She Hulk run that people are pointing to. They're saying that it's pulling heavily from and 
the the trial that's in that run is apparently like influential. The people I've listened to won't say what's happening in the trial, and I don't know which run it is to go and see. But uh, I, I, it's something enough people have talked about that it. I think that'll be kind of the way they go. I just don't know anything about it. All I know is, you know, Daredevil Abomination. Uh, at some point, she gets like official She-Hulk gear because they've got toys in the 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 purple thing. And the preview I saw with Daredevil, she was wearing it. So there's some of that going on. But yeah, I don't really have any other expectations. I'm just kind of waiting and sitting along for the ride. And I just think that it's fun. You know, it's it's fun to have this thing that we are enjoying and, and having a blast with. It's fun and funny. And it very much reminds me of a, uh, as I said, an Ally McBeal type of... Uh, type of feel you know which we don't really get legal comedies anymore i mean I think the last one i can really think of that took off in any kind of meaningful way was boston legal and that was almost 20 years ago now um you know those those kind of things don't happen anymore it's just not an area that tv has looked to to mine outside of the criminal like legal drama yeah and i wouldn't expect a whole lot of likes courtroom type of things in oh this. no they've already said that they couldn't write sorkin right. level courtroom exactly. scenes so like you know and our good friend matt goldberg decided to bash him before it a little bit well if that's the case then why is attorney at law in your title it's like because she's a lawyer and because there are courtroom things that happen just because you don't get the finale scene of a few good men doesn't mean that you know you're not gonna get well-written courtroom scenes it's just you're not going to get a, a whole trial. Okay. You read more Collider than I do. What is he like? Like, because clearly he doesn't like anything that he has to talk about, which is all this stuff. What the hell does he like? Um, Near as I can tell, like straightforward dramas and character studies and meditations on faith. Uh, those seem to be like his, his kind of wheelhouse there. You know, like like Andrew Garfield coming out this week and saying that he went celibate for six months and uh, and took up fasting to prepare for silence. You know, those kind of stories. No, and there's nothing wrong with him liking those stories. Uh, my only problem is that he finds like the nittiest nitpicks of these and just keeps pulling on thread until he gets to this thing sucks. Um, you don't have to do that. Remember, we may not have a democracy in 2024, but we definitely will have another (laughs) Avengers movie, and that's all that matters. (laughs) He did say that, right? He did. He he did. Here we are. Yes, so here we were all basking in the glow of Comic-Con, and he's like, well, you know, democracy is going to fall apart, but corporations are going to continue selling their product to us. I mean, how does he not realize that those corporations are still making the movies that he likes? And that statement still stands that 2024, okay, we don't have a democracy, but we're still getting your the uptight. Oscars are still a thing. Yeah, your your Oscars are happening, your uptight, dramatic work that you love. The corporation is giving you that. You can't, in, in this instance, those movies are not the same. We're in the same place. It's just that there are more people that are excited about this movie than the movie you like, but it's the same thing, dude. So 
just don't say that and you don't have to worry about me like saying that you're an idiot for making that statement. But yes, I, I did see the story about them saying that they weren't going to. I didn't take that as we're not going to do any legal scenes. I took that to mean like the whole the whole finale of You Good Men is just Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson one on one on the stand for 15 minutes. And I don't think that that's the kind of thing they're going to be looking to do. No, you're not getting the second half of a Law and Order episode, which is just the courtroom drama. You'll get some of that, but not the whole ins and outs of it. And I am appreciative of the fact that they have said that they will answer the question of what became of the Sokovia Accords post uh, post Endgame. Oh, I, I am intrigued by that because I every now and then I think about that. I'm like, the Soviet Accords, the Sokovia Accords is still a thing because it's mentioned uh, in No Way Home when they when they arrest Peter and everyone. Um, but you know. Even since then, we've gotten other. I think it might be mentioned in Miss Marvel, which interesting note, Miss Marvel is listed to take place after She-Hulk. So wondering how that plays in. Uh, and this is from Disney Plus itself. It listed everything in their chron- uh, chronological order. And Miss Marvel was the last thing. She-Hulk is right before it. It'll, it's just going to be interesting to me to see what the answer is there, because it kind of seems to me that you you sort of throw that stuff out the window when the, you know, superheroes who messed up go back in time and fix it and make it right. And it's kind of amazing to me that all of that stuff is public knowledge because Scott Lang has a podcast. His... Clearly, he is not handling confidential and and top secret information very well. I hope as part of uh, the release of Ant-Man Quantumania, Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania, after it's released for a few weeks, or maybe as part of the home release, that we get a few episodes of Scott's podcast. I would really enjoy having uh, listening to the musing of Scott Scott Lang about all these things uh, once the movie comes out. Oh, yeah, for sure, because we know that that's how Cap, how because it had been a question amongst fans for a while uh, as these Disney Plus shows have rolled out. It's like, how would people have common knowledge about what Carol Danvers's role was in the great in the great battle of upstate New York? Like, how would people know that Iron Man had died or that, you know, Natasha had given her life or how would they know these things? Well, the. You know, it's not like the federal government would be, you know, super forthcoming about this crap, especially if they were trying to lock these people up before that. So, you know, uh, it had always really been a thing. And then when Miss Marvel's like, oh, Scott Lang, podcast and book. That that whole situation, I can't wait to see. Uh, which, yeah. by the way, which, by the way, if you talk to anybody who has published a tell all memoir from their time in office, it has to go through a clarification, uh, a classification review before it is published to make sure that you're not, you know, saying something that's you're not supposed to about certain certain uh, things. And so it's it's hilarious to me that Scott Lang would not only have gotten a podcast where he admitted all this stuff, but that he would have published a book with all this information in it. So in that in that light, it's kind of interesting because you know. Those people in those public lights, mainly politics, because of their positions, they can't say those things. 
However, Scott is a private not, citizen superhero. Right. So he can say whatever he wants. And you would think that the government want to classify some of this shit. Uh, like, honestly, because when, when people were griping about how, does, how do people know this and this happened, it was all around WandaVision and how, um, um, dang it, I can't get Monica, how she knew all the, was able to tell all these things and then like Darcy knew these things and all that. And to me, I'm like, they're working for the government. We have several government agents working in S.H.I.E.L.D. Don't you think they were all debriefed and then the government knew and and or said something and knew said something? So, I, I, like, that never bothered me. But for the general public to know, it makes so much sense that it's Scott just be like, yeah, this is all the stuff that happened to me. And why not? They threw him in jail for helping Captain America. I'm telling everything. And and no doubt it was as entertaining as possible because it, right. we all love Paul Rudd. Oh yeah, I, I I look forward to seeing Jonathan Majors, um, you know, tell him, "Have I killed you before?" I can't wait to see what he does with all the stuff that is Kang. So, you saw that my that the picture that I sent you a while back when it first when he, when it first hit the internet, I sent it to you. And then uh, Simeon Wu, uh, Simeon Liu, uh, got a hold to it and retweeted and said the Avengers are completely effed. And and then Glenn Powell picked it up and was like, "Yeah, you better get to that assembling real quick, because my boy is coming <laughs> for you." Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <clears throat> it's man. Like I said, he's definitely got the ripped part down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um... I mean, he has to because he's seeing Michael B. Jordan in Creed three, but you know, right, right, and we've seen what he does for that. <sighs> Which, I, well, he would have shot since they were shooting Creed three. I think they're done now, but you know, he he, this would have been after he did uh, uh, Ant Man, or he might have had to do some pickups while doing Creed. But either way, um, he was always a big dude anyway, so. Kang is going to be ripped. That, that's just all there is to it. Scott shouldn't have stand a chance. So speaking of other things that are ripped, the uh, space-time continuum on the Warner Brothers lot has pretty much been ripped in half. Uh, your thoughts are on a very, very busy week, which included pulling episodes of Sesame Street from the HBO Max calendar, uh, content listings. <sighs> Uh, you know, we were talking before we press record and I said I would just want a day, just like a day, a whole clean day without them doing something. I I completely forgot about the Sesame Street stuff. So you just said it. The when when Sesame Street moved to HBO, people were really up in arms because they were taking public access television and essentially put it behind a, a paywall. Um, and but. Not only that, there were people were thinking that Sesame Street was only going to air on HBO, and they were, and there was a big explanation. And after people, you know, had time to think and see, no, Sesame Street still ran on public access, but HBO was essentially housing the entire run of Sesame Street. 
So enter this, you know, this new regime, and they've decided that no, they don't want to house all of Sesame Street. So the thing that it was bought for, the thing that that HBO sought to have Sesame Street for, they're just like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to take all these old episodes off. That was so completely, for me, as somebody that, like, I know I shouldn't, especially now, I shouldn't look at these streaming services as, like, repositories, but, I mean, the Sesame Street thing was, essentially, it was a repository for Sesame Street. Yeah, you had to have an HBO subscription, but if you did, you had access to all of Sesame Street. And Sesame Street is, like, the most, it's, I mean, it's meant, it's meant for the goodness of kids. So, like, just the symbolism of removing Sesame Street, so much of Sesame Street from HBO Max is... 200 is, episodes. Yeah, that, that it's just... There's no other way to say it. It's just disheartening. It makes you... Like, if, if you value money so much more over, than over just the goodwill of having this stuff available for kids, it doesn't say a whole lot of good about you. Um. And it's even doubled down when, you know, a couple of days later, Sesame Street's like, you know what? Forget them. We're going to put all this stuff on YouTube. So now it essentially is free because now people, anybody can go and watch all these episodes. They use YouTube as a, the repository that HBO Max kind of positioned itself to be when they first acquired it. So all of, all of that to say that it kind of, you know, it further submits the bad feelings people are having about the direction of Warner Brothers and HBO and HBO Max under this new regime. So that was that. And, you know, everybody's got a bad taste in his mouth. And then they continue to do what they're doing. So, I mean, there was a really good tweet. I wish I could credit the dude who did it, but there was a really good tweet from one of our uh, Hollywood insider friends that, so it's amazing how in such a short period of time, HBO Max went from being a universally beloved streamer to being a dumpster fire on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and it, it's re- like it's I still have a hard time with all this stuff, not because of just my feelings on most of the things that Warner Brothers like holds the rights to. It's because a lot of this is like legal corporate stuff of maneuvering things for for profit loss stuff. And then the fact that because Warner's has so many things under its umbrella, like HBO Max and HBO are two separate things. So a lot like the things they're doing, we're all housing under Warner Brothers or, and or HBO Max. And not all of it is HBO Max itself. Like the service itself still functions and for the time being moves just to kind of the way that it always has. It's just that they keep doing things and wrapping the name on it or doing things that drags the, the, the name in the mud. And those things would be like the removal of not just like Sesame street, but uh, there's a lot of animated HBO max stuff that they just taken off. Um, and let me not just say animated. There is just straight things developed for HBO Max that they've taken off that nobody's going to have access to because they're the only ones that had it. 
so it's it's a it's a whole complicated thing. But even in its complexity, most of it is just pointing back to the head of um, the company as, you know, like bleeding, bleeding this thing out when it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Well, like, I don't really understand from a profit and loss standpoint what pulling your own content off of your 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 streamer does for you in terms of profit and loss. You've already negotiated the rights contracts. You've already created this content, in most cases, for this service. Shows are already bought, paid for, and produced. They're already streaming on the service. They may not may not be the most watched things on the service, but they're there. And you don't get publicity for them until you pull them. But, like, why why pull stuff that, you're un- that you have contractually, like, paid for and you have the rights to like, how does that free up capital? I, I don't, I don't understand how that frees up capital in a, in a price conscious or revenue conscious regime. And the other, the other thing too is like, um, you're not doing favors to, especially with the news today about Batman and and the animated movie that they pulled, multiple animated movies that they pulled, um in the gumdrop and gumball movie you don't you don't make friends with creators when you pull stuff like that without any notice to the creatives or when you turn around and try to shop it to paramount plus or somebody else which makes no sense so we created this content we paid for it we made it but we for some reason don't want it on our streaming service anymore so here mr competition please take this off of our hands it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, even from the dollars and cents, profit and loss point of view. So I I really agree with you on like all of the things that were already on the streamers. Like they're done, they're made, they're there. Why take them off? It's not as far as I know. It's not. It's not, like, it's not, like, it's not like you don't have enough space on your servers. Right. It's not like you, it's costing you anything. However, with the news today that dropped with like the uh that they weren't moving forward with the 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 new Batman series, the Batman Christmas special, two Looney Tunes, uh one was a movie, one was a special, and a like a Steve Urkel kind of Christmas special kind of thing. I was talking through this with my brother because I was in that same headspace. I'm like, why would you do these things? And just by bouncing ideas back and forth off of him. I remember people talking about streamers and residuals and how those things are doled out. And then it hit me. It's like, well, so now not, not for the ones that already existed on the server, but for the ones that haven't come out yet. Uh, Cause those things I named just a minute ago, they were saying that they were going to shop them out to try to shop them around to other places. So if they were to shop them out to let's say like Hulu, so they're basically renting it out to Hulu for whatever serv- whatever who's going to pay for it. But then Hulu is paying the residuals to the creators. So they they drop an expense and they're adding revenue by by doling it out that way. So in my simple business brain, I'm like, okay, I now I see why they're doing it. However, it to me is still the way that this comes across 
and the way that people have reacted to it, not just us fans, but creators themselves, it seems like this is more costly in the long run because, again, the people that you're like just crapping on with the things that they're making, right, that are in production or that you, they made and you took off the service, well, you're screwing those people that you took off the service because now they don't get residuals. And as somebody else, one of the animators on Twitter said, it's not like the residuals go to them. It goes into paying for their health care stuff. So you're screwing them that way. But all these people that put all their hard work into stuff and you're just like disregarding their stuff wholesale, why would they ever want to work with you? And people and people see that. Why would those people then want to work with you? So in the end, you're you could be costing yourself people to like you're not just costing yourself like real money. You're costing yourself relationships that can go on to make you money. And now you're you're narrowing the pool of people that will actually work with you. So you're narrowing the products you're going to get. So to me, it's like it's it's very short sighted, short sighted gain and negating long term success or potential long term success. Well, I mean, for me, it's it's more of I still don't understand the acquisition. If this is your stated position, if austerity is your stated position, and you've made that clear through both your public relations strategy and your finding your moves regarding content, if austerity is truly like your your business practice, why would if if you have a forensic accountant of any kind of a like commonality, like with a grain of common sense, if you hire a forensic accountant and the forensic accountant comes back and says, yeah. We, de- we valued their assets at this. And they have about $3 billion worth of debt that would not be consolidated prior to acquisition. And you would be taking that on. That would, like, if a forensic accountant said that to you during the, the merger acquisition negotiations, you know, we... Mm-hmm. One of the reasons, and this is one of the things that people younger than me and you um, probably won't know about, but there was a time in coaching transitions where universities didn't want to pay buyouts. They wanted the universities that were uh, that they that they were going to to pay the buyouts, and the universities weren't wanting to do that. And so there were cases in the mid '90s where coaches were paying their own buyouts. And, you know, Jared DiNardo had to pay out a large portion of the buyout to come to LSU from Vanderbilt. Um, That was a thing that used to happen. How in in the world, if a forensic accountant says to you, you in this acquisition process will acquire $3 billion of debt because they're not going to to fix it themselves. They're not going to keep that $4 billion in, in liquidity you know, with them when they dissolve. Like, you're acquiring them. Their debt is going to become your debt. Why, if a forensic accountant says that to you, do you still continue to proceed with the acquisition? If you're running that much of a loss and you're this much of a profit and loss guy, that's the part that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, there's no one you can make pay that $3 billion. That $3 billion is going to become your problem. So this is where... Uh, because, like, Discovery Plus was not running at a deficit. 
But okay, so this is where my limited knowledge of business is going to do us no good. But um, the way I saw it described was that in order for Discovery to make this deal happen, they they themselves. Like even though they may not have had debt before the the merger, they took on a larger amount of debt in order to be become viable to make the merger happen. Um, somebody with better business understanding, you can like walk us through this if you want. But I, I think that's where I think that's where we're at. They took on debt to acquire WB. And then WB they acquired are, WB, WB, they were acquired WB's debt. So right. in an in, in instance going from being without acquire, having very much debt, if any at all, to having $5 billion in debt. Right. And at that point, um, well, it depend, when you come in like that, it depends on what you're going to tell, like who's in charge and what their plan is to take down debt or to address it. Apparently, Zaslav came in saying that he was going to tackle the debt. Um, I don't know how he he probably did say to the shareholders how he planned on doing it. I don't know what that is, but it seems right now it is he's doing every accounting trick, every kind of cheap measure he can to pare down the debt. And then, I mean, it's it's really, really messy and and bloody and hurtful right now. He could, and to him, he could be like, "This is all the hurt that's we're getting all the hurt out of the way now. So when we get on the right side of the books, we can go and do whatever we want later." I don't think he's factoring in that in doing it this hurtful way now. How many people he's going to alienate? Now, granted, he can alienate alienate all these people and get them back later by you know having some successes and then people slowly come back or he could just alienate them for good and be like, well, we're done with you. Uh, we we're, we're yet to see. Um, but specifically on the animation side, it doesn't look good. He's cut a whole bunch of that stuff. Um, I am terrified for what this means for the Looney Tunes, even though they put it up there. Like it's one of their profitable brands, but if it's one of your profitable brands, you have a new incarnation of the shorts running right now. You have a movie made in said style from those people making those shorts that you're just like, ah, screw it. Shop it out to somebody else. It doesn't make sense to me. So it, it he also could be, doesn't make like you said, it doesn't also make sense to say, we don't want to pay those residuals. We don't want to have to get dole out that little bit of, you know, pennies on the dollar for that money. Let make somebody else make somebody else do it. Yeah, like it's, that's a that's just not a great business model. No, it's it's very much telling people that we don't value you as we don't value you as people. We just value making our ends meet. That's it. Not even not even we don't even value the work you do. We just value making our ends meet. But the one thing they haven't done is cut jobs. When we went through this with the Fox Disney merger, there was a ton of duplication, right? Because they're both movie studios. They both have people in a publicity department. They both have a marketing department. They both have a post-production staff. They both have screen in-house screenwriters. They both have secretaries. They both have office staffs. Like, there's a lot of duplication in their staffs because uh, they're both movie studios. That doesn't exist here. But what we've been... But in most cases, when there's a, a dramatic merger like this or a major merger like this, they're job cutting. 
there, there are job cuts to reduce staff, to reduce the number of people you have to pay on a daily basis so that you start saving money that way. And it's just amazing to me that we're starting with the content and not with the, you know, the actual job losses. Uh, because as you said, if HBO Max and HBO Entertainment are two separate entities, cutting jobs at both would seem to me to be on the table if you're trying to reduce your overhead. Because you don't just cut productions, you cut people. Yeah, and apparently there there have been cuts. Um not not to the extent of the Fox Disney merger. Right, the, right. The, the Fox Disney merger, it was it was upwards of I think two hundred fifty thousand jobs. I mean, it was some some ridiculous number uh, back then that they that they did. And those cuts had to come like right around Christmas time too. Right, and that's the um, I guess that's the thing. You know, it hasn't been as many, and it kind of gets lost in in with all, with everything else that's going on. The cuts that are made kind of get lost, but everybody knew that cuts were going to happen. So if it's not as much, it doesn't look as bad. Uh, But who knows? Maybe content stuff is just surprising because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, you didn't if if some of the stuff you didn't cut the check for, like, why are you concerned about where it's housed and and what it's doing? You know, um, you know, like, this is where I get my position that they don't really care about the streamer from. Is because they have their own streamer, and they're just going to fold that into this. But, like, that's not their priority. Their prior- They don't see a ton of revenue distribution coming from the streamer. They see their revenue distribution coming from TV marketing, TV deals on TBS and TNT. Uh, they see their distribution deal... Their, their money coming from, uh, you know, theatrical releases. They see uh, their their financial, you know, revenue streams coming from music, from uh, Warner Towers Music. They, they see it coming from different outlets uh, from their own company and from Warner's. They don't see it coming, I don't believe, from the streamer. And I think they see the streamer as, a, as more of a business hindrance than a business asset. Um, which is funny to say, even though I'm sure more people saw House of Dragon over the weekend on HBO Max than they did on HBO proper. I mean, apparently it crashed HBO Max, so people are using it. But yeah, I I do think that's right. I do think in the in the grand scheme of things, they view the streamer. I don't know if they view it as like a money loser, but it is not a money like generator for them i think they it wasn't didn't discovery plus was not a deep service like it, it had archived episodes of a bunch of shows but like it wasn't like something like hbo max is which is to use your term a repository for a 150 year studio a hundred year movie studio right um i don't know this it's like the discovery stuff is um Everything I've heard about him and Discovery is not very encouraging because, you know, Discovery, I knew the name Discovery and it was on akin to um, like Natural Geographic. It, it had that kind of stuff. And apparent, and that is not what Discovery is now, nor has it been like that for years. Yes. And apparently it made the only the sh- time it's like that. The only time it's like that is Shark Week. Right. The rest of the time, it's my 600 pound life and. 90 day fiance and 
that whole kind of deal. Right. And apparently when it made the shift to that kind of stuff is when he came and took over. And it seems like he made that shift because these things were popular, but they're cheap to make. And that's what made uh, Discovery so uh, profitable. That's what made reality television as a whole popular in the early 2000s. They were ratings boomers and they were cheap to make. Right. It's, uh, I don't mean, it's just, this is just the situation. Oh, I got a tweet about, since we're on this subject of uh, HBO Max stuff, um, it's from Boris Kitt. He writes for Hollywood Report, I believe. He said, Batman the Cape Crusader, that's the animated show that we've been talking about that people are saying, saying that it's canceled. Uh, he said, the show is not canceled. Per sources, just not going to stream on HBO Max. The show is in deep production. Nothing is paused. It will show up somewhere. So yeah, because it's backed by J.J. Abrams and Matt and and uh, Matt Reeves, which is why it's amazing that they won't put it on HBO Max. You you own Batman, who you say is a your uh, one of your brand name fan franchises. You have this big, big stupid deal with J.J. Abrams. Matt Reeves just made you a successful solo Batman movie, and it's involving Bruce Timm and uh, Paul Dini, who created Batman the Animated Series. All those things together would be like, why aren't you put it like it's a surefire thing, success, put it on your streaming uh, platform, but that's not the route they're going to take. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's a case where instead of having it on HBO Max, they put it on uh, Cartoon Network. In which case, it will still end up on HBO Max. It just won't be on HBO Max's budget. Or they could le- they could shop it out to Hulu, and you can watch Batman Cape Crusader on Hulu. Then they're running out from there and 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 making their money that way. Uh, it's which is amazing because you know years ago, just I say years ago, but like then like five years ago, Batman the Animated Series. Was streaming for free on Amazon Prime. Yeah, on Amazon Prime, you can watch Batman the Anime Series and Superman the Anime Series, all those kind of things. And Warner Brothers slowly took all those things away. Why? To put them on HBO Max. And here we are. The current the current Warner Brothers is like, nah, you get a Batman show and you get a Batman show and then you just pay me all the money and I won't put it on my own goddamn streamer. Like, it's kind of frustrating. I mean, I just again, it it doesn't seem that they they're making it a priority, and I think that that it might genuinely be that they don't see enough revenue potential revenue for it. I mean, you have to remember Hermada and and the ownership AT and T Warner, you know the the AT and T group, they saw the streaming wars coming, and they were like, we want to have a stake in this, and we want to be in this fight, and they focused heavily on the streamer and the streamer helped them out a great deal during the pandemic of 2020. Like it, it, that content, whatever you want to say about the release strategy, that content helped drive subscribers during the pandemic. It helped their business model. And, you know, now you've got these dudes coming back in behind them saying like, this thing isn't making enough money for us. We need to go in a different direction. And I just think it's, an interesting business model. I mean, interesting is a way to put it. I 
I don't know if this is going to be a successful model, but it's the one we're stuck with. Well, I, I think that the general consensus is that this is either going to be a this merger either t- either succeeds or fails in three years. And if if we get to the point three years from now where they still aren't they still aren't profitable, I have no doubt that Zasloff and the in the Discovery Group will sell them off. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, before it comes to that, maybe the. Um you know, because there's always a board for these kind of companies. Maybe they vote Zaz off off the island and try to get somebody else to come in there. I, I don't. I really don't know. It's um, I it, long term. I question all of this. Short term, I see what he's doing. It's it's like um to bring it closer to home. It's kind of like how the Saints manage their roster. They do a lot of um accounting tricks early on to make everything work financially but if all those accounting tricks have to be called on in the two years down the road when they're supposed to be called on they're screwed they just manage to always keep doing this uh, smoke and mirrors thing they keep putting things on the credit card and then finding ways to keep the creditor from coming from coming right right so it's so it's a lot like this. Warner Brothers is a lot like that. I just don't think they have the same kind of magic with the smoke and mirrors to to keep make this keep blasting in the long term. In the short term, it's going to hurt a whole lot of things. But when people look at the books, they might look better. And I think that might be all they're going for right now. Well, but, at the same time, Mickey Loomis does all that great accounting work, and he's a capologist, and he's that's the great he's great at what he does. But the thing is, the team has been successful off on the field for five years. So, like, you are doing those accounting tricks to keep the team competitive and to keep star players. This is the opposite of that. You are doing math that is detrimental to your product on the field. You are actively taking steps that are harmful to it, and you're pissing off players in the the process (laughs) who then go on talk shows and talk bad about you. So like it's actively doing the negative, the the negative, whereas Loomis has been doing the positive. Because if you really stop and think about it, this Jeff Ireland, uh, this Jeff Ireland and Mickey Loomis run here with the Saints from say 2017 to now is a longer sustained run than the 06 to 11 run. So like they, you know, since those seven and nine seasons, they've been doing these tricks. They've maintained competitive, being competitive, you know, in a way that for longer, a longer sustained period of time in my mind than they were earlier when they were, you know, when Sean Payton had just gotten there. That is a, yeah, that that's right. That is a good point. I never thought of it that way. But, uh, yeah. Well, Ireland just helped them draft better. And, and when you draft <laughs> better, you get young players on rookie contracts. Which, which helps. Which, which helps with the accounting, so, yeah. Yeah, because you don't have to go out and spend on Mo Vaughn to come to your team and, you know, be injured all the time. So, right. That'll about do it for this week's episode of the Movies on the Brain podcast. I uh, I am at BCW Tiger Fan. At The Mets Theory. And you can follow the podcast. It has its own very dedicated Twitter account uh, on at on the brain pod and our producer is at Grant L. Fletcher. Thank you very much and have a pleasant Sanchez day. Oh boy.